I mean, in many ways, the, these kids are just like us. Some of us are like, yes, I can't wait to get there. And others of us are like, mm, do I really want to go into worship? Maybe not. Uh, that was, uh, that's awesome. Hey, uh, we now come to the part in our service where we read the scripture. Um, if you've been around here, you know that we've been going through the lectionary, which is a way of looking in many ways at the life of Christ. Uh, so, you know, we've been looking at like different passages from the gospels as well as some psalms. And what it's do, what we're doing is over from Advent for this year is for us to get a picture of what it means to be united with Christ. That's our 25th anniversary theme in many ways. And by looking at these different texts, we're, um, you know, just we're sort of holding up the diamond and looking at it in different angles, in different ways. So it's different from us, as you know. Normally, we go through one whole book of the Bible, but this way we're just sort of looking at this thing in different ways. So today, we're looking at a passage in John 14 that is picking up right in the middle of the upper room discourse. This is Jesus talking to his buddies at the end of his life, very near the end of his life. We're going to talk about what that looks like, but before I do that, I'm going to read. So this is John 14, 23 to 29 in your bulletins on the screens. This is the word of God, and we should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. Jesus answered him. This is Judas, not Judas Iscariot, but one of the other Judases. He asked a question, and Jesus answered him. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. Goodbyes are really hard. Uh, we are in the season in life right now where there's graduation parties, uh, where folks are graduating and going to college. Uh, there's folks that are graduating college and moving on, moving back to their home's basement, parents' basement. Just kidding. There's a couple folks I know in our church that are facing very, uh, very soon uh, retirement, with, which with that brings some great excitement and also some great terror, right? Uh, I've been to some uh, graduation parties. And what do you do at graduation parties? You just sort of sit around, you stand around, you're excited about one another, you're excited about what is going to happen, the future that's coming up. And, you know, these high school graduates are so excited and they're also so terrified. Uh, we were just, rem- I was just reminded yesterday of uh, our, one of our, daughter's elementary school graduations, which at the time I thought this is so silly, right? It's an elementary school graduation. What are you doing? But what we realized, uh, what I realized, what was happening at that moment is that this child 
was, was the end of her childhood. She goes through this graduation. She goes through the graduation ceremony, and you can see her face is just rot, like stone face. She's just solid stone face. And Blair and I are looking at her. We're like, okay, I think I know what's happening. She's just solid rock face, just doing nothing, no emotion. Goes through the ceremony, and as soon as it's over, comes up to Blair and I and just bawls, just collapses into our arms, just crying. That's what transitions do. That's what ends do. That's what goodbyes do. There is so much emotion wrapped up, not just in the lever, but the levy, right? Moms and dads who are experiencing their kids leaving are feeling that emotion. What does it mean my child, my baby's going on? Or what does it mean that now I am leaving this company that I've been at for 50 years plus? What is that going to look like for my life? This lever and levy, these emotions are so strong. This text that we are looking at this morning is a a goodbye text. It's a levy and a lever text. Jesus is talking to his disciples as folks that are seeing the end. Now, you guys know, you're biblical scholars, you remember that at the end of Jesus's life, he enters Jerusalem. And what does your Bible little tagline say at the beginning of that? His triumphant entry, right? Jesus's triumphant entry into Jerusalem. What do people do when he triumphantly enters Jerusalem? What do they do? They're like, Hosanna, praise God. Kids are, are waving palms. They're so excited. This is the king. I mean, just imagine what the disciples, his buddies are thinking at this time. This is great. This is awesome. This is what we've been building for. This is so great. John, in his gospel, he writes that as soon as that happened, they go to the upper room. And the first thing that happens in the upper room is Jesus washes their feet. And, and you know enough to know that, you know, the disciples at this time are thinking like, uh, this isn't the way it's supposed to go. No, 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 Jesus, you're the king. We just sung to you, right? You're the king. We wash your feet. But no, instead, Jesus starts washing their feet. He's already turning it upside down. The, the disciples at this point are confused, okay? They're at least confused. And then during their discourse, during Jesus's goodbye talk with his buddies, one of his disciples say, you know what, I might leave right now. And Jesus says, you know what, you're actually going to betray me. And Judas sort of stands up and he leaves into the dark. Now, we don't really know what the disciples were thinking at this point, but it's, do you think they were confused? It doesn't really tell us what they're feeling at this moment in the upper room. But I got to tell you, if Judas, one of my friends who I've been walking with for three years, one of Jesus's friends just stands up to leave, you hear something about betrayal, you might start thinking, what is going on here? This is not the way it's supposed to go. Their feet are wet. One of their buddies just left. And Jesus starts talking in some weird ways. And he starts saying this in John 13, 31 to 35, before this text that we just read, he starts saying this stuff. His betrayal, his execution, his death, his resurrection is coming. He starts telling them about it. 
He starts talking about his union between himself and the Father. And you heard that in the text I just read, right? I mean, you heard Jesus talking about what I do, what I'm doing is the Father sent me, the Father sent me, and everything I say, the Father told me to say. I mean, you see this weird union with Jesus and the Father that the disciples, I can imagine, are just getting confused. He starts talking about the fact that he's leaving and they can't follow him. But just think about that, right? I mean, they've been following him for three years now. Like, I can follow you wherever I want to go, Jesus. I mean, if you're going somewhere, I'm going to follow you. Don't tell me I can't follow you. And he's like, no, 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 no. Not only can you not follow me, but what you need to do now is you need to love one another. You need to serve one another. And that's the way that the world is going to know you belong to me. This is super confusing. They're super scared. It is a dire situation. People are pressing in on the outside who want to murder Jesus, right? People are pressing in on the outside that want to murder Jesus and probably everyone that's sort of connected with him in some way. If you're connected with Jesus, then maybe you want to, we want to kill you as well. They're terrified. It's a dire situation. It doesn't look good. And so Peter is that guy. Right? I mean, you know enough to know, you know, this is what Peter does. Peter's like, okay, I can feel, I can feel the stuff going on around my friend. Jesus doesn't really know what's happening, but I know what's happening. These guys feel bad. They feel oppressed. They feel scared. So Jesus, look, 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 look. I know what you're saying, all that stuff. That's cool and all. That's great. But no, we will stand strong for you, Jesus. We will stand up for you. We will be good Christians. We will do everything right. And in fact, Jesus, I, Peter, I'm going to die for you. Maybe the greatest source of irony in any written literature. No, Jesus, I, Peter, will die for you. Jesus then says, no. And then more confusion, more terror. Jesus is speaking to a group of disciples who can barely hold it together in the face of persecution and they don't understand what God is doing. I'm going to say that again because that's us in this room. Jesus is speaking to a group of disciples who are barely holding it together. Anyone in this room? Jesus is speaking to a group of disciples who are in the face of persecution. Maybe some in this room but definitely some in the larger body of the church in the world. Jesus is speaking to a group of disciples who don't understand what God is doing. That's everyone in this room. That's every single person, one of us in this room. We don't understand what God is doing. Sometimes that's so clear, so poignant. It's so in your face that you scream, God, what are you doing? That's what the disciples are doing. What are you doing? I don't understand this. This is confusing me. I don't get it. They need help. Uh, A couple days ago, one of our members served at a um, uh, at his high school play and he invited us and we came, me and uh, two of my kids. We went to this play. It was uh, in the Heights performed by a, a local high school around here. Uh, if you know In the Heights play, I don't really know it very well, but it's the play that Lin-Manuel Miranda wrote before he wrote Hamilton. You've heard of Hamilton. Uh, he wrote this play before he wrote Hamilton, and it won some awards, some Tonys and stuff like that. So it's pretty good. But if you know it, you also know it's kind of hard. It's hard. 
I mean, it's complicated work. It's complicated singing. It's a lot of dancing. And I'm thinking, because I know it a little bit to know, how in the world is a high school going to pull this off? This is crazy. And so uh, me and two of my kids, we go to this play. And you, if you know it, you also know it's, it's not improvised, but there's a lot of give and take between, uh, sort of, between the audience and, and the actors. There, there's, uh, you know, it's, it's rap singing. It's, it's improv in some way. And so the main guy, he comes out. The main guy comes out the very beginning of the show. The music is played. The overture is played. He comes out. Not a single word has been said or sung yet. He walks out on the stage, says one line, and messes up. Clearly messes up and stops. Ah, can we roll that back? Roll that back. And he walks off the stage and like walks off. And so me and like our, uh, me and the, my kids are like, oh, this, this is part of the play. This is what you do. Like, okay, that's it. And so he like comes back. So he waits a little a beat and then comes back out and starts singing again, gets a little bit further and messes up again and then cusses. I'm like, this isn't part of the play. <laughs> and, and then he walks off. He walks off and uh, gets off stage, goes behind one of the sets. And um, you hear him on the mic. You hear him saying his lines. You hear him just like quietly saying. He's not singing. He's, he's saying his lines. And, you know, I'm, I'm nervous at this point. What's going to happen? This guy has a lot to do. He has a lot of lines that he needs to get through. And so he, oh, we're all, but what happens? It was so great. This is a, this was a, a, in many ways, not a lot of people there. There was a lot of parents, a few folks from the community out in the East End. And the people in the, in the audience just start cheering. Just start saying, you got it, you got it. Just start applauding, you got it. Because we know, we hear the guy behind the set. He's saying his lines. And we're all cheering. We don't know this guy at all. And we just start cheering too. Yes, you got this. He comes back out and does it flawlessly. Does the rest of the play flawlessly. It was amazing. It was so good. I think in many ways, he needed that help of the applause. He needed the help of us in the theater applauding, needing, uh, uh, applauding him. And he needed that help. We know what this feels like of needing the help of different people. There are a couple folks I know in this congregation that struggle with um, uh, depression or anxiety. And one of the great means of grace that they use is the community that they're in, the small, uh, the small groups of men and women that they have. That uh, I'm on two different chains, one guy and one girl, one man, one woman. That when they're in the, the fits of depression or anxiety... They just text out to their group, please pray for me. They don't say what, they don't say why, they just say, please pray for me. And so what does this group do? We receive this prayer, or we receive, receive this text and pray for him right then, right then and there. Text them back wor- words of scripture of encouragement. Text them back when praying for you. Don't even text them back at all, but just pray for them. That is a great beauty of our body in Christ, the fact that we need one another. Personally, myself, just a few weeks ago, I was in uh, not a fit of depression, but pretty close. I was in a real deep pit and all these different things going on in my life that I just felt like God's not here. God's not listening to me. Where's God? And I texted out one of my friends and said, please pray for me. 
All he did is texted back. He didn't ask me why. He just said, okay, I'm praying for you. That was a beauty. I needed that. At that moment, I needed I needed his prayers, but I needed to know that he was there with me, praying with me, praying for me. I needed the help. I needed that help. And so Jesus is speaking to his disciples, his buddies, and they need help. And so what does he do? He promises this. This is um, John 14. This is right before this passage. He says this, if you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Jesus is speaking to his despondent followers. He sees them in their concern and loves them to the end. What he does in these verses that we get to, these verses that we're looking at, what he does is he points them to two very important things. Our union with Christ and our helper. Um, If you know you've been around here, you know we've been doing this union with Christ. From January to April-ish, we did this union with Christ curriculum. Uh, where small groups were going through this. Uh, in many ways, we looked at the book written by Rankin Wilborn uh, on Union with Christ. And it was so great. It was so wonderful for us to look at what it means to be united with him. Thomas Goodwin, uh, a great Puritan writer, he wrote, being in Christ and united to him is the fundamental constitution of a Christian. Anyone who believes in Jesus is spiritually united with him. Our salvation, our growth and discipleship, our glorification are all because of our union with Christ. Spiritual disciplines or means of grace are ways that we, in responding to the gospel, abide in him. Without Christ, we are severed from God. Dead sticks on the ground. Just like that passage, which just says right after this text that we just read, right after this, Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. This Rankin-Wilborn book, he uses a couple illustrations, a couple analogies about what it means to abide in him. And one of the things that he does is he uses the analogy of sailing, uh, which I have only sailed once, nearly died, so I don't do that again. But I know there are folks in my life that go sailing. My mother goes sailing all the time. She loves sailing. And uh, there are terms like cutting the jibs and turning starboard. I know that one. That's right. Uh, and, and other such sailing terms. But what, what, he, what, does he do, what, what Wilborn does is he analogizes sailing to abiding in Christ. It is resting in him alone. If you look at a sailboat from far away, you see, it just be, you see the beauty of it, right? I mean, it's just sailing along. You see it's done right. It's just beautiful. You see this sailboat just rolling along. But then when you get up close... Wow, they're working hard, right? They're working hard. There are people doing this. I don't know what this is. Something with lines. Someone in the in between services told me, uh, you pull the Cunningham. I've never before heard that in my life. I don't know what that term is. I think of Richie Cunningham and the Fonz. That's all I know. <laughs> but in sailing, it's so great for us to see that in the middle of storms... 
or in the middle of just a beautiful, blustery, windy day, or in the middle of the doldrums when there's just no wind at all. In all of that, our abiding in Christ is sitting and relying on God. We rely on the wind. We rely on God to to pull us along. We can't do anything without God. If you have no wind, if you have no God, you go nowhere. And yet there is stuff that we do. There's an active participation in abiding. There's an active participation in what we do. You are doing it now, attending to the means of grace, worshiping. Us reading the scripture and looking at it, praying to God. All these things are beautiful. Go ahead and get to the next slide. Let's see what I wrote there. The disciples were facing the real immediate threat of their faith being demolished. The help that the disciples needed was beyond kindness and lifting up those around them. Here and now, for them, kindness would evaporate. You see, what could have happened is Jesus could have said, Abide in me, disciples. Abide in me, guys. And then just left them. And what would they have been left with? They would have been left with, Okay, I, I, uh, I got to abide in Jesus. All right. I'm going to think about it a lot. All right. Uh, or uh, he left us some words. It's written down. So I'm going to read his Bible. He, he's, he would have left you with that. And that is terrifying. Being left alone. Okay. I know what I need to do. I know what I'm supposed to do. In those days, it sounds great. I know what I'm supposed to do. When the wind is blowing, Jesus, I would love to get out on that sailboat and just go. It would be amazing. It would be great. And then the first storm would come and I would say, why did you leave me here? Or the first doldrums would happen. There's no wind. What is going on? If we are left with only the words abide in me, we are left hopeless. Remember, Jesus gives us two things in this text. He gives us abide in me. That is important. Uh, yesterday, my wife and I had a glorious day. It was so great. So wonderful. We woke up late. I mean, I could end there and just say that was a great day. I woke up, we woke up late. Then we got our bikes and put them in the car and we drove to the Capitol Trail, one of my favorite places to be in the world. And we went to a, we parked at a vineyard. And on a beautiful day, you guys were here, you know, it was beautiful yesterday. We biked f- many miles to uh, a courthouse grill, had lunch. It was glorious, good lunch, it was good food. Then we biked back and then we ended up at a vineyard. So we had a glass of wine and just sat by the river, saw people, people were putting up a flower display, which Blair was like, yes, let's just watch this. And then we went home after stopping and getting some dessert for us and the kids. And then we went to the pool. We made dinner and then we went to the pool. I remember sitting at the pool being like, can we do this every day? This is a great day. I I would just want to repeat this tomorrow and then the next day and the next day. Well, we laugh about that because you can't, right? You can't repeat that every day. That's a glorious day. If abiding in Christ on a day like that, oh, that's great. We could abide in Christ every day if every day was like that, right? Jesus is so great. It's so good. But we know that's not the way it works, right? We know that we are going to come home after that day and face the same fears, the same struggles, the same temptations, our own sinful hearts. All of that's still going to happen. We need not only to abide in Christ, but we need help. Because you and I, we need help in many different ways. Um, What is your need today? What is your need today? 
here are some of the needs that people have told me in the past just one week. These are not one person. This is different people. Just this past one week, different people told me these things. My marriage is falling apart. I am overwhelmed by financial debt. My children just don't live up to the standards that I have set for them. My roommates are just killing me. I just don't like them. Uh, Jealous of FOMO. FOMO. Fear of missing out. You read your, you just watch your scroll and you see, look at all those fun people that are having fun and didn't invite me. And that's serious. Uh, That's no joke. Someone else told me that they hate even their own desires. Just the desires that they have. They hate that they have them, but they still have them. And then someone else just said they hate themselves. Now, maybe you guys are not at that point, but we're all at that point. We do struggle with need in so many ways. Some very severe some not so severe, but all of us are like these disciples who are just sitting in that upper room who are crying out, Jesus, help us. We hear what you're saying, but help us. And so what does he do is he gives them real help. Um, Fleming Rutledge is an Episcopal priest. I, I think she's up in like New England area, but she wrote this. It was an article in Christianity Today from last year, I think. Uh, She wrote this. 32 years ago, our family was undergoing a crisis. I received a long, compassionate letter from a friend on the West Coast. Although the letter was wonderful, one line bothered me. My friend wrote, your spirituality will get you through this. When I read it, I recoiled. Whatever spirituality meant, I was keenly aware that I didn't have any of it. In and of myself, I had nothing adequate for what was facing us at the time. I had only the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. I had only the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. I think that's probably a good sentence for us to remember. I had only the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. So what do you do when you're faced with your faithlessness? What do you do when you're faced with all your needs and you don't know what to do with it. What do you do when you're faced like the disciples, the impending departure of Jesus or just the fact that he doesn't appear real to you in any way? Is he even here? So the disciples, they needed help and Jesus gave them help. Jesus was going to die. Jesus was going to leave them. And with their death, with Jesus's death, the disciples Maybe their hope was leaving too. So Jesus promises them real help, and that real help is in the Holy Spirit, the helper, the helper himself. Spurgeon wrote this about the Spirit. Do you know, O saint, he's talking to us, do you know, O saint, how much the Holy Spirit loves you? Can you measure the love of the Spirit? Do you know how great is the affection of his soul toward you? Go measure heaven with your span, Go weigh the mountains in the scales. Go take the ocean's water and tell each drop. Go count the sand upon the sea's wide shore. And when you have accomplished this, you can tell how much he loves you. 
He has loved you long. He has loved you well. He has loved you from the beginning and he still shall love you forever. Surely he is the person to comfort you because he loves. Admit him then to your heart, O Christian, that he may comfort you in your distress. The Holy Spirit, you might have heard, is often called the paraclete. That's a fancy Greek word that means called alongside. We have two paracletes. Jesus was called alongside, and that's why he says, I'm sending another. Jesus was called alongside his people, and he knew that he was about to depart his disciples. So he's saying, I'm sending another friend. I want you to hear this. I think it's important. We need to abide in Christ. But maybe what I want you to hear more is that you can't do it. So Jesus sends you a helper. You can't do it. So Jesus sends you a helper. He says, wake up. You need help and you can't do it alone. So I'm sending a helper. The Holy Spirit points us to Jesus and by bringing Jesus to us. The Holy Spirit is our true faithful helper. And go to the ne- I think this is the last slide. Uh, go to the next one. That's a great line, but we'll, we'll skip it for now. The Holy Spirit, the helper, the paraclete, he is faithful to you faithless people. He is unwearied to you weary people. He is wise to you unwise people. He is safe to you unsafe people. He is active to you inactive people. And he is ever present to you ever present people, uh, to you non-present people. And when I point to you, I point to myself as well. The Holy Spirit is with us. He's active. He's safe. He's wise. He's unwearied. He's faithful. He's ever-present. He is the gift to us. He is our helper. He is our helper. And what he does is he points us to Jesus Christ. And we're actually about to see that very clearly, most clearly, in the Lord's Supper. I want you to hear this. Believer, know this. Do you need help this morning? Stop looking elsewhere. Look to the helper. He can actually give you real help. He can actually give you real tangible help. Look to the helper, the Holy Spirit, because he points you to Jesus Christ. We now come to the partner service where we take communion. I want you to hear these words of institution that are printed in the bulletin uh, and they're on the screens behind me. Mark 14, the disciples prepared the Passover and when it was evening, Jesus came with the 12 and they were reclining at the table. And as they were eating, he took bread. And after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. So let's confess our sins together by using this prayer of confession that's in the bulletin and on the screens behind me. Let's read this together. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. 
and lead me in the way everlasting. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Believer, hear these words of encouragement from Romans. There is therefore, therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For I received from the Lord what I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and broke it, just as I do now ministering in his name and gave it to his disciples. You and I need help. We just heard about that. We just read about that in the scripture. In the final days, Jesus gave to his buddies, his friends, you and me, a promise that he will be with him and he will send a helper to us. The Holy Spirit is for us, is with us. Uh, Years ago, when I was uh, teaching on the Holy Spirit, I came up with this analogy that breaks down. So please don't yell at me about how this analogy breaks down. It's not a Trinitarian analogy. We're not doing that now. But I think it's really helpful to talk about the Holy Spirit, especially related to this. Uh, In the American way of doing weddings, uh, what often happens is there's uh, a groom, a bride, and and who brings the bride in but the father of the bride. And if you know how Jesus describes his church, you know that he is the groom. Jesus Christ is is the groom and the church. Those who believe in Jesus are the bride. We are prepared beforehand ahead of time for the great glorious wedding feast in heaven. That's the way Jesus talks about the church in one of the ways. One thing that I think is helpful is that the father of the bride is just like the Holy Spirit. The father of the bride is just like the Holy Spirit because who brings the bride down the aisle? The Holy Spirit, the father of the bride, walking hand in hand, arm in arm with his church, with his bride. And does the father of the bride want the people in the congregation looking at him? No. Does the bride want people looking at the father of the bride? No. Where are they all looking? The groom. The groom. They're looking at Jesus Christ himself. The Holy Spirit walks with his church, walks with his people, pointing us to the great groom of Jesus Christ. If you love the Holy Spirit, you love Jesus. And if you love Jesus, you love the Holy Spirit. As you come this morning, if you believe in Jesus, he has prepared a place for you. If you come this morning to this table, you are declaring, I need help and I can't get it anywhere else except here. The Holy Spirit walks with you. When you come down in a few minutes to take communion from the elders and the deacons, know that you are coming and saying, Jesus, 
I need you. And the Holy Spirit walks right next to you. The Holy Spirit walks with you hand in hand, arm in arm. So if you've come to your place in life where you believe in Jesus Christ, you've confessed that to a body of believers, come, take, and know that Jesus is good. If you haven't yet come to that place and you're still struggling, you still think, maybe I can find my help somewhere else. Maybe my helper is someone else or something else. If you still are struggling with that, then don't come. Take this moment as our gift to you to sit and think and contemplate the fact that Jesus is with you and for you. Your Holy Spirit loves you. So as the elders come, bef- come forward to um, t- uh, get the elements, remember the, on the outside is wine and on the inside is grape juice and all the bread is gluten-free.